Welcome to the Future Now Media Podcast, where we believe a future now is a future one. I'm your host, Peggy Kim, and I'm the founder and president of the Future Now Media Foundation, which is a nonprofit leadership incubator for the media and entertainment industry. In this podcast series, we'll be talking to some of today's top industry leaders, executives, and professionals. We'll also hear about their personal and professional career journeys, what makes them tick, how they got to where they are today, and what they've learned along the way. And we'll also share some of the best content from our Future Now live events. Today's episode features a conversation with Chris Rose. Chris is the Vice President of Scheduling and Acquisitions at the History Channel, which is a part of A&E Networks. And it also happens to be one of my old stomping grounds. So this was a really special conversation for me. We cover a range of topics from programming to development to scheduling, which is an art in itself. And then we get a little more personal and talk about his background, how he got into the business, things that he did when he was looking for a job. And we also talk about the value of formal and informal mentorship. This conversation was part of the Future Now Leadership Talk and Networking event in 2019. And so you'll also hear some of the great questions from the audience. Take a listen. So we have a full house uh, um, of Future Now alums and some new friendly faces. And we also have your family in tow. So I'm excited to um, have you share your story with us. It's great to be here. And I'm a big fan of the organization. So always proud to help. Thank you. So I want to, first of all, we are going to take some questions from the audience. So, you know, think about what you want to ask. And certainly if you're streaming, feel free to uh, um, write your questions to us and we'll be sure to um, ask them. Chris. So, Chris, tell me, how did you um, how did you get into the business? So that's interesting. So if we can go back a little bit, you know, I've always been a, a fan of current events and of reading the newspaper and uh, when I was a kid I can remember my mom and dad bringing home the newspaper uh, my mom bring home the daily news my dad bring home the newsday and I'd you know go through the current event stories read the sports pages and I always find myself reading the you know the TV listings and trying to figure out you know why is that show coming on at that time you were um, thinking about that even then I was you know I was thinking about that and I was also thinking about oh I'd love to be a sportscaster so when I was a kid, I was probably 13 or 14, I actually wrote to Marv Albert. I don't know if anybody in this room knows who Marv Albert is. Uh, I know he's he, a he is a legend, day. but you can tell everybody. He's a legend, but you know, he's a big NBA uh, broadcaster. He's been broadcasting for you know, NBC, Turner. He was a local uh, Channel 4 sportscaster back in the mm-hmm. day. Um, and I wrote to him, and I, you know, I expressed my interest in his industry. And not expecting him to write back, he actually did write back about one or two months later. And he told me the things I should focus on, the things I should do. And he's like, oh, by the way, you may want to look into Syracuse University because that's my alma mater. Uh, So a few years later, when I was in high school, I applied to Syracuse. is one of the schools I applied to, and I was fortunate to get accepted. Syracuse has one of the best communication schools in the country, Newhouse, uh, which I was a part of. So that kind of started me on my journey. Awesome. So what did you study? What was your major? So initially my major was to, my goal was to study broadcast journalism. Um, Like many people who attend Syracuse, uh, you'll see a lot of Syracuse alums populated throughout the industry uh, working in in journalism. Uh, I didn't stay on track with that. Well, you wanted to be on camera, right? I wanted to be a sportscaster. I wanted to be on camera. I probably didn't 
put in as much time as I should have to focus on that goal. I was also worried about, you know, working in the small market after I got out of college and making very minimal. Yeah, wage. because that was the usual track was That's to the usual track in start in a small market and kind of work your way up to bigger markets until you, you know, ultimately, hopefully, hit the big time of exactly. national. Exactly, and that's still probably the best way to go. But but now these days, you know, with all the digital and multi-platform opportunities that exist for for people out in the industry, you can really do it in so many different ways. So I didn't do that, but I, you know, obviously still had a love for television and for scheduling and programming. So I actually majored in television, radio, television, radio, and film management. So you learn about research, you learn about scheduling, which not a lot of a lot of people know about. Um, but that's kind of the path I I led on. So for those who may not know what a scheduler does, what does a VP of scheduling and acquisitions do? Sure. So I am responsible for over 400 premiere hours of, of content on the, the history schedule. Uh, that's inclusive of series like your Curse of Oak Islands, your um, uh, American Pickers, your Pawn Stars, your Swamp People. It could be inclusive of specials like the 9-11 special we just did. We did a Food That Built America special. Um, and it's also inclusive of marathons and stunts and tentpole events like Car Week and, and that sort of stuff. On the other side is acquisitions. So in the last three or four years, history's really gotten into the theatrical acquisitions in a big way. Uh, we do a lot of partnerships with our sister networks, A&E and Lifetime. I should just step back and say that A&E Networks is composed of a number of networks. A&E, Lifetime, History, uh, Viceland, which is a, a joint venture, uh, FYI, and Lifetime Movie Network. I work specifically on history. Um, but on the acquisition side, we meet with all the major movie distributors, whether it's Warner Brothers, uh, Sony, Disney's, the Foxes, the, the Paramounts. And we're really looking for content that speaks to the history audience. The history audience is about 60% male, 40% female, mm -hmm. whereas the lifetime audience is uh, mainly female skewing, and A&E is more 50-50. Uh, so we, you know, the, the content that resonates with our audience is, you know, the military or the World War II type of content. Which I love. Yeah. <laughs> Which I worked on when, at the time. Yes, yes. Also. For, for um, so I was fascinated when I was working there because um, I, I never really thought about the scheduling. Yeah. Right? So could you kind of break down how do you make your decisions on scheduling? What goes into the decisions of what show goes when and, and why? Well, there are a lot of factors, one being the competitive influences. So we always look at what our competitors are doing. So, for example, Discovery is, one of, is our main competitor. And one of their big tentpole events is Shark Week. So, you know, when we're thinking about what we want to hear. Who watched Shark Week? Okay, we've got a bunch of people watching Too Shark Week. Too many people watching Shark Week. <laughs> <laughs> we have to create the history version of Shark Week. <laughs> so we have our own version called, called Car Week, which... Uh, it's been pretty successful for the last two or three years. But hit, so Discovery has Shark Week. They have a lot of strong programming that is very similar to history. And we try to, when we schedule, we think about do we want our biggest shows or our biggest tempos going up against their, their content? You know, Sundays and Mondays are our football nights. Do we want our strongest content going up against those, those football games? So it's really a strategic decision, and it's the competitive. It's when is the show going to deliver? A lot of shows are seasonal, like Swamp People. You know, 
alligator season is in September and October. Right? Oh, I didn't know that. It is. I didn't know that either. That's when they have babies or what? That's when you're legally allowed to go down in, in, in the bayous and actually hunt, hunt. the gator. Oh, okay. Yes. Gotcha. Uh, we have a show called Didn't Alone that. that's in, you know, the Arctic. So that's being filmed during the winter. So we have to factor in when that's going to be able to deliver and be ready for air. So there are a lot of different factors. There are a lot of financial factors. Uh, certain shows can't air. You can't air a certain number of shows in a particular quarter or in a particular fiscal year just for financial reasons. So okay. there are a lot of different decisions that go into it. Interesting. Yeah. Now you also, how did you get into scheduling? Because you, you were studying broadcast journalism. You wanted to do on-air sports yeah. casting, and then you made this switch into scheduling. How did that happen? So I always wanted to work in scheduling, but I didn't know how to get into it because a lot of people don't really know. When you think about TV, you think about production, you think about being on air, but you don't really know that there's a strategy and scheduling side to it. So my first job out of college was working at a was working in research at a company called Cats Media. And the way I got that job was through a Syracuse alum who was actually up at Syracuse a few months before my graduation and was interviewing for the position. Uh, so I did that in a series of research jobs, uh, all with the goal of transitioning into scheduling, because the great thing about research is that it gives you a good foundation of understanding the, the ratings, audience flow, and that sort of stuff. It's all about the data. It's all about the data, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but then I was working at Fox and I got laid off. And I realized that I, if I was gonna make that move and transition into scheduling, I had to do it. I didn't want to do another research job because, you know, as interesting as research is, it's not always the most creative. Right. right? You want to do the application of the research. I want to do the application and the research and use my creativity to, it's basically like putting a puzzle together every day. Um, so, unfortunately, I got laid off from Fox. You know, they were having downsizing. Uh, but what I did was I was a member of NAMIC, which is a Another great organization. Another great organization. Yep. And I went through the directory and looked at everybody who worked in scheduling and programming. And I did a lot of phone calls and a lot of informational interviews to talk to them about their careers and their jobs. And fortunately, I spoke to someone at BET, uh, and I ended up getting a job about three months after I got laid off. That's great. And I was able to transition into scheduling. What was it about scheduling that was so appealing to you? Well, like I said earlier, I've always been fascinated by how networks put a schedule together, why that show is airing there. Um, I always used to read about the upfront presentations every May and what new shows are being announced. Like, this is a big week for the broadcast industry because a lot of the new shows are premiering this, this week, and I think that's interesting and fascinating. And fun. And fun, And yeah. you're kind of controlling how successful almost, I mean, you you have a, a big role to play in how successful something is. Absolutely, and I think yeah. we're, we're kind of like the nerve center for the company because all the information kind of flows out of our department. So as we, you know, interface with research or sales or marketing and any other department, they look to us for the information as to how we're going to best support the network. Awesome. So I want to get more now into, um, you talked about transitioning, you talked about getting laid off and, and how you proactively went out there, to, you know, reaching out to people, networking and doing informational interviews. Did someone teach you how to do that or did you just know that that's what you needed to do and you went out and did it? I uh, blame my mom. <laughs> Go mom. <laughs> my mom, you know, 
in addition to being a great mom, she always has a phrase like, you know, those with raw meat seek fire, meaning if you want something bad enough, you have to go out and get it. So the only way to, for me at that time, is to, you know, go and meet people and talk to as many people as possible. And it's always important if, if there's one thing I can express upon you guys here is it's always good to establish relationships with people before you need them. Uh, because if you feel like, if people feel like you're coming to them because you want something, it doesn't feel very organic and they're less likely to want to help you. Right. But if you maintain that relationship and, and doing ongoing before you need their help, then I think they're more likely to, to help you. Now, are you an introvert or an extrovert mm -hmm. by nature? Introvert. Introvert. Yes. How, so how hard was it for you as an introvert to do that kind of outreach? Uh, it's not hard. I, you know, what I try to do when I was doing it was I'd send them an email. You know, maybe they'd respond, maybe they didn't. Uh, I'd just ask for 15 minutes of their time. I don't. Were you getting those connections from other people, or were you kind of cold emailing them? Well, I had the NAMIC directory, so I had their information in the directory, and I just... Okay cold email them and some would respond back, some wouldn't. But the ones that respond back were very gracious with their time. People are always willing to help you, I find, and if they don't feel like you're monopolizing their time, I think they're, they're always willing to help. That's awesome. So are you thinking about your questions for Chris? Does anybody have one right now? Yeah, I, I have a question. So I realize like a lot of companies you know, some of them have programming scheduling, some of them are scheduling and acquisition, some yeah. of them are scheduling and development, some of them just have development. Yeah. Is there a reason why those four different titles kind of like mingle around together or separate? Like I was wondering what those dynamics were. Yeah, I think it depends on the culture of the company. I worked at BT for seven years and the way that function was we had a acquisitions department that was part of programming, but they just focused on acquisitions. Uh, at A and E it's kind of a hybrid. Lifetime has it, their own dedicated acquisitions folks, and then they have a scheduling side. On the history side, it's we do both. So I think it's really just dependent on what brand you're working on. Yeah, everybody seems to be doing it a little bit differently. Yeah. I mean, I was doing programming and production simultaneously, right. and development, right. so. It just depends on where you work. Yeah, really. which I thought was great, because then you could really understand the whole the whole process but Absolutely. some people are just better at one part than right. the other part right. so it's a it's a bit of a toss-up absolutely um, uh, I saw another question over here yes <laughs> I don't know that guy <laughs> so you work at a network that specializes in storytelling if you had the opportunity to produce the show of your dreams what would what would it be on oh at good history? question just in general. So I'm going to repeat the question because in case um, people can't hear it on the recording, uh, the question is about if you had a dream show that you could pitch at the current network or just any in network, any in network, any network, story you want to tell. What is that story you that you want? Hundred hours of other people's stories. <laughs> yeah. Oh. What's your story that you? Can want I to tell? say a show that I love that I'd love to reboot? Okay. <laughs> and it's already been talked about getting a reboot, but New York Undercover. I don't know if anybody remembers New York, New York Undercover. Undercover. New York Undercover was a show that aired on Fox back in the 90s. It starred Malik Yoba, Michael DeLorenzo. It was the first show that uh, had two uh, people of color in the lead roles. One was African-American, one was Latino. There's been talk about them doing They actually shot a pilot for a reboot. There's been talk about it 
getting picked up. It hasn't happened yet, but that's my favorite show of all time. So wow. if there was one show that I'd bring back, that would be the show. All right. Did I answer your question? Yes. Let <laughs> <laughs> um, me talk to you a little bit about um, people in your life. Sure. So how did you, tell, tell me about you growing up. What was that experience like? Sure. Where, so did I, you, where did you grow up? I grew up in Long Island in a town called Roosevelt, which is in Nassau County. It's about mm -hmm. 25 to 30 miles outside of Manhattan. Um, so I'm the youngest of two children. My sister Karen is two and a half years older than me. Um, and, you know, ever since I can remember, you know, TV I've, has always been an important part of my life. I've loved TV. We remember coming home and doing my homework and then just flipping on the tube and, What you were know, you watching at the time? I was watching everything. Everything was, you know, at that time, you know, cable obviously existed, but it wasn't the thing that it is now in terms of hundreds and hundreds of channels. Uh, so everything, whether it was reruns of The Brady Bunch or reruns of, and I'm dating myself if I name these shows, so I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> but well, they would know Brady Bunch because of the HGTV hit now. Or Full House or the TGIF lineup and that sort of stuff. Anything yeah. that was in prime and it got syndicated, I was watching everything hmm. just because I was a, a lover of TV. Awesome. But it was, yeah. it's, which is, what's interesting is that I, we didn't have cable until I got to college. So everything we were watching was on broadcast television. So. I worked for cable for a long time before yeah. I got cable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. That's like my confession for the night. Um, so tell me about mentor mentors in your life. Did you ever, did you have a mentor? Um, did you even know what that was as you were coming up? So I knew what it was, but I never, and this probably sounds bad to say, I never had a formal mentor. I would say I've had people in my career or in my professional, personal life who've given me great advice, um, whether it's, you know, how to write a business email or just how to conduct yourself in the workplace. So what I would say to everyone in this room is, you know, it's important to have a mentor or someone who you can look to for advice, whether it's career advice or whether it's personal advice. It's also important to have an advocate when you're in your workplace, so someone who can speak on your behalf when you're not in the room. Like when decisions are being made about if you're getting, you know, a promotion or that sort of thing, someone who could speak to you and speak about you and say, "Oh, so and so is a great person. They're a hardworking person, and you know, they'd be great for this company." Yeah. So, so someone really fighting for you. Someone fighting for you when yeah. you're not present in the room. H have you had people like that? I like to think I have. <laughs> and I think sometimes that happens when you don't even know it. Some people fight for you. You may not even know that it's happening. And I feel like I've had that, um, you know, people that I've known and people that I haven't known. Yeah. I mean, that's really amazing to, to have people like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting about, so we just launched a mentoring program mm -hmm. um, this month, which you're one of our mentors yes. for this program. We, yes. we had uh, students apply and we have 12 mentees and 12 mentors. Um, and it's a formal program. But like you, I also didn't have somebody that, was my a formal mentor. Yeah. Um, I had people who I looked to for advice at various points. Um, how important do you think a formal mentoring program is as opposed to kind of like we kind of both cobbled together our experience? And does that count as mentorship too? I think it's important because it keeps both the mentor and the mentee on track and mm -hmm. it you know, some, you know, life gets busy and, you know, 
personal life or kids or family or wife, husband, you know, uh, you know, monopolize our time. So if there's a set period of time when you can dedicate to meeting with your mentor or mentee, I think it's important. It's, it's helpful. It's very helpful. It's something that I wish I, I had, which is why we're doing what we're doing now with Future Now. Yeah. Um, but I do think that how, how both of us kind of went about you know, gleaning from, from others when we could, I think is also a very important thing to do. Because you can't always just rely on one person. It's also the diversity of, of the people that we um, put around ourselves. Absolutely. Surround ourselves. And you may have from. friends who you enjoy doing things with in this corner and friends in that corner. So, you mm -hmm. know, it's a, it takes a village. So I want to talk a little bit about diversity and what diversity means to you. Sure. So diversity is, I think, an ongoing challenge. Um, and probably not talking out of line to say it's a challenge both within our company and in many companies. Mm -hmm. Um, Just in the industry in, in general. the industry in general. So, you know, I think it's important to have a diversity of thought, diversity in race or in gender and, and everything, just to get a, a variety of opinions. I think inclusion is important. Mm -hmm. So not to just be the token person. You could say we're inclusive by just adding a person of color, but is that person being mentored and groomed and being, you know, shown the same respect that other people in the company are being shown? So I think it's very important, and I think it's an ongoing challenge. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I had a conversation, I would think it was a couple of weeks ago. Um, actually, it was with a young lady who actually come, came to the Future Now conference. She was, I think she was the youngest we've ever had. Yeah. Very, very um, bright and very mature for her age. She's only 19 years old, and she reached out to me. And um, we were talking about diversity, and uh, she... She was like, "How do you? How do you? Uh, how do you achieve that? How do you achieve that?" And she, you know, she's a student, also coming. She's she's from Senegal, originally, and I said to her, and it was a great question. It's not, it's it's a question that keeps coming up, but I think I answered it very differently for, in a in a way that I wasn't expecting to, and it was, "How do we as individuals also live?" in diverse circles mm -hmm. so that we're not just living in one circle so if if you know so if i'm korean american and if i'm only living in a korean american circle that's, that's not terribly diverse to, right yeah. so but i you know i am very kind of i'm walking in i'm moving around in different circles so it's not just my own obvious yeah. <laughs> background right. um, but I, I also go to a church that's also very, very diverse. There's over 100 different nationalities, people from all walks of life who attend this church. So that's, and I'm very involved in my church, so that's also very, very diverse. And then I, you know, there have been, when I turned 30, I had my, um, my, my friends threw me a surprise party in Newark because they were that's where they live so my my friend she's uh, originally from Ghana so she was like oh why don't you come out come over I'm like okay so I went over there and it was like a surprise party and one of my one of my friend's husbands who was who was there he pulled me aside and he's like so Peggy I was like yes Carl I was like 
do you have any white friends? <laughs> because everybody in the room was African-American or from Africa, and I was the only non-African yeah. in the room. And it didn't even dawn on me. Because yeah. I'm like, these are just my friends. Mm -hmm. So for him to ask that question, I was just like, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do, but it didn't occur to me that for somebody else looking at the, looking at the room, it was remarkable. Right, right. You know, but I take pride in that. Yeah. I, I really do, because I do think that in order for us to truly achieve diversity, it's not just in a company setting, it's how we live and how we move amongst, you know, different circles, different tribes, yeah. and building relationships, because that, and that's a word that you used earlier, um, talking about how you build relationships. Build relationships, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And I would say, you know, when you're in a workplace and you're looking for people to hire, it's important to not just, you know, reach out to the same schools that you typically reach out to right. or, you know, reach out, you know, submit the resume of a cousin or a friend, you know, because then you're just basically bringing the same pool of applicants into the company which is not a bad thing, but it's not really opening up the aperture right. to other people. Right, which is what, why what we're trying to do with Future Now is so right. important. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, any other questions from the audience? The question is about acquisitions. Yes. Is that just a original program you're making and buying from other studios, or is it something that you're leasing or um, licensing for, from that company? Okay, so the question is about acquisitions and how acquisitions actually works. Sure, so uh, from the theatrical acquisition standpoint, like the movies that we acquire, we're just licensing it. Okay. So an example of that would be like a Hacksaw Ridge or an American Sniper or um, 13 Hours, Secret Hours of Benghazi, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But we also acquire one-off specials um, that really kind of fall within the, the history. Really? Realm, exactly. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, I know that you're, you know you're currently in a very successful position, but I was curious, mm -hmm. what are what are your <laughs> goals, what are your goals moving forward? Like, what kind of goals do you have even in a high position? So the question will repeat unless you no, want to. No, can no, you no, repeat you, the you, question? Oh, what are I think your question was what are my goals as I move forward? Mm -hmm. uh, my goal because he's <clears throat> reached a certain level of success. He's a VP. What's your what's your kind of ultimate goal? Did you did you always have this like very ambitious? I'm going to achieve certain titles and and status, or was that never really part of your thinking? Well, always in the back of my head, always wanted to run a network. So you know, whether that's at any networks where we have a great president, or if it's at another network, or if it's you know at the time it was a network, but now it could it be a streaming platform or mm -hmm. OTC or, mm -hmm. or DTC, I should say. Um, so the industry is always changing, so I think the goals always change, but I think my goal is to just continue to grow and grow within my company and learn as much as possible and see where that takes me. I just have a follow-up to his question. So what do you think um, that uh, is missing or maybe need to improve to help you achieve your goals? Within the company? Within the company. Yeah, yeah so if you, if you can repeat the question. So the question by the stranger here was, <laughs> what do I think needs to change or what needs to happen yeah. for me to achieve my goals within the company? Yeah. I think that, and it's not just, it, this is probably relevant to many companies, I think there should be more of a focus on 
uh, grooming the next generation of, you know, like grooming at all levels. So mm -hmm. if you're entry level or mid-manager level or mid-level in your career, uh, what is the succession plan and how do you grow within your company? Um, is there any leadership training being offered to, to people within the company? So I think there are a lot of different programs and, and things that could be done to, to make employees feel like they're, they matter, that they can continue to grow in the company. Because a lot of people feel sometimes can feel stagnant mm -hmm. once you've been there for a while or you may have a boss who's been there a long time and you, know, you don't feel like you, you have any opportunity for growth. So uh, short of companies providing those kinds of opportunities, what do you as an individual um, have to do? Or would you even recommend others to do? I would recommend that you keep learning. Uh, so in the past year, I've been just taking classes online through Harvard Business School uh, just to keep my mind going and mm -hmm. you know keep learning about the business. Media-specific courses? Or? Not media-specific. Uh, I, I took a couple of classes. So I took uh, a core class, which consisted of you know business analytics, financial accounting, economics, because I knew pretty much nothing about those things, just to make myself you know, more relevant. And then I took a disruptive strategy class more recently. So just trying to maintain my learning. Mm -hmm. You're never too old to learn, <clears throat> even if you graduate. I know there are some people doing their masters, but you could still learn at any age, I think. Yeah, I mean, reading the trades, I, I would say, is something that's really important to for for any of us to do. Yeah. Um, but I would encourage you, as you're kind of still in school and starting starting your careers, to really pay attention to what's happening in the industry and understand what the trends are, because that's where also the opportunities are going to be. And I would also, you know, speak to the value of internships. Mm -hmm. um, so if you have an opportunity to do an internship. Uh, I think it's important because you—it's like going on a date. You're not marrying the job. You're just going on a date. You're figuring out what you like and what you don't like. Um, and if you don't like it, then you know, find another internship. <laughs> right? yeah. Yes, there's a question back there. Um, often people have trouble in the networking part. So two questions: uh, When you first reached out to all the people in the NAMIC directory, which we didn't say, National Association of Multi-Ethnicity. Yeah, so NAMIC is National Association of Multi-Ethnicity and Communications. So did you email them and say you were looking for a job, or what did you say, and how do you maintain relationships after that one-off experience? Yeah, so the question is about networking, and um, Chris had shared about how he had uh, somehow obtained the name. No, there was a directory that so, they oh, gave all the members. Oh, that's just open. Mm -hmm. Okay, so mm -hmm. it's an open member. member At the time, but I don't okay. think it's, it's probably all Data is <laughs> king, so I'd be surprised if they did that still. But So you had access to this directory, and uh, how did you, question is how did you um, build and maintain those relationships? So I can't recall if I told them what my job situation. I think I did because I was looking for a job. But I think it was m more important that I told them that I was just looking for a few minutes of their time and that I wasn't going to monopolize an hour of the time. I wanted 15 to, to 15 to 30 minutes just to talk about what they do. People always love to talk about what they do. So if you have an opportunity to do that, I, I would say that's important. And in terms of maintaining relationships, you know, sometimes I... It's not a relationship until you've maintained it. <laughs> right? Yeah, and sometimes it's important just to send them an email every few months and tell them what's going on in your life. Um, or, you can, you know, LinkedIn is a great 
great tool these days just to stay in touch and see what other people are doing. People love to brag about themselves on LinkedIn, right? <laughs> like a humble brag, but right? Um, so yeah, I think those are important ways. How did you learn the networking skills? How did I learn the networking skills? Well, at Syracuse, you know, that was something that we practiced. Oh, really? So they had a career, they have a really good career development center where you go and you actually practice interviewing um, for a job. Uh, and then they have, a, they have a student resource center where they tell you what jobs are available. And they, send out, they still send out emails to alums just to tell you about what's going on. So sometimes if I see something that's available, I'll just send it to the Syracuse people. Um, but in terms of how I learned to network, that's a good question. I don't really remember. I think it's something I've always just done. It's not easy. I like to go to events when I know some other people there because it makes it easier. Because like I said, I'm an introvert, so I don't necessarily like to go to, to events by myself, but sometimes it's a necessary evil. Mm. What was, I'll get back to you in one second. What was um, maybe one of the kind of major mistakes you've made in your career? Major mistakes I've made in my career? I would say I probably stayed in research longer than I should have. I probably should have made the jump to scheduling and strategy a little earlier. Um, why? Why? Why didn't I? Yeah. Why didn't you and then what difference would it have made? Why didn't I was because I was probably just comfortable with the job that I had. Um, and was probably afraid to take a risk because scheduling and strategy jobs are hard to come by. So if it wasn't available, I probably wasn't out there seeking it as hard as I should have. Um, it was your other question, I'm sorry. What did I just ask? <laughs> <laughs> what difference did it make? Oh, yes, thank, oh, you. thank you. What difference would it have made if you had chosen differently or oh, sooner? Sure. Should have so, made the switch sooner. Oh, I think about did I waste two or three years of my career where I could have probably even be in a better place, right, hmm. uh, career-wise. But I'm happy with where I am right now, you know? Awesome. Could always be better, could always be worse, right? Yeah. So. yeah. If you could... <laughs> yeah. If you could give advice to your 22-year-old self, mm -hmm. what would you say? I would say... If I was still in school, I would say try to study abroad if you could. That's one, just because you be exposed to a lot of different cultures. I didn't study abroad, so that's why I'm saying if you can, do it. Mm -hmm. um, being exposed to a lot of different cultures and, and ethnicities and that sort of thing. And I would also say don't be afraid to be great because everybody has, I think, greatness in them. And a lot of times people are afraid to bring it out for whatever reason or another, me included. So. Not saying I'm great, but I'm just saying, you know, everybody you are has great. greatness in them. Thank you. You are great. But I think everybody has greatness in them, so and people are afraid to, to bring it out sometimes. Sometimes yeah. it takes other people to help bring the greatness out of you, you yeah. know? And people see things in you that you may not see in yourself sometimes. Yeah. And that's what you're going to be doing now as a, as a formal mentor. Yes. Right? <laughs> Bringing out the greatness in others. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, any other questions? Yes. I have a question. So with the position that you have, what do you do to like make a difference specifically at your company? Like what changes do you like try to do or opportunities do you um, that you offer as far as like training or mentoring to like bring other people up so they're in the same position as you? Within my company? Yes. 
well, I'm doing the mentorship program with the Future Now. I do a lot of. Um, Actually, I can brag on that a little yeah, bit okay, because. Please do. Um, While I think about the. Yes. <laughs> I'll give him some time. So, Chris. Um, uh, so Tom, Tom, who's in the room, uh, was has been an awesome friend, and uh, the first two years of our conference, our Future Now Media and Entertainment Conference, uh, Tom was able to organize media tours for students, for our students to come into A and E Television Networks and get a lay of the land and meet other people and explain the company. And this time he he had to go on vacation, so he wasn't available. Um, and I got introduced to Chris, and Chris again stepped in and helped um, orchestrate that that media tour, which is huge because these media tours really, for the students, gives gives them an opportunity to to really see themselves, visualize themselves. In the in the space, sure. in the in the, with the people, and ask more questions and make more connections. So, you know, thank you to Tom and 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 you too for making that possible at any television networks. Glad to help. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> to answer your question. Like more at like, <laughs> now he's going to dig deeper. So I mean, like specifically yeah. like within like the people that work under you, like and that thing, like you know, like do. You, Mentor your employees. Do you like? I don't do know. you manage people or? I do I? Uh, so I have a director that I manage. Yes, who's also a Syracuse grad. Yes. Oh, so. I didn't hire him. He was there before I got there. But he's a great guy. Does a great job. That's my question. Good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. You. Mm -hmm. um, so you mentioned streaming earlier. Sure. So I know there's like a ton of competition from streaming now with only more streaming services coming out. So on both the scheduling side and the acquisition side, how do you make sure that your content is like can't miss, must view content to kind of deal with all the competitors in the space? Yeah. So ab obviously everyone knows that there are a lot of different streaming platforms coming into the market. Disney Plus, uh, BT Plus just launched last week. Um, I think content is king and is important. So content will allow you to rise above everything else that's out there. Um, in terms of our content right now, or in terms of history overall, I think what we want to do is, you know, kind of target a couple of different genres. So, you know, in the scripted space with Project Blue Book, which is one of our premier scripted projects, in the unscripted space with uh, a show like Curse of Oak Island, and then we have our blue chip specials, like uh, we have a special coming up, uh, or a miniseries coming up about uh, Ulysses S. Grant. Mm. We have something coming up about uh, George Washington. We also recently just had a, a special about 9-11 that did extremely well. It was about what was going on with Air Force One on the day of 9-11, how President Bush was basically circling the country, trying to evade what they thought was a, a threat or a, uh, another plane trying to take mm -hmm. out Air Force One. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we also do extremely well in the, the Food That Built America bucket. So we just had a special called Food That Built America that looked at all the titans of the food industry, like the McDonald brothers and the guy who created Coke and the, Heinz, uh, the guy who created Heinz Ketchup. And what did they do to kind of become the people that they are? Mm -hmm. So that kind of falls into the men who built bucket and the, the cars that made America bucket. So. Really tapping into that core history viewer is, I think, important and kind of helps us rise above some of that other stuff that's out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. 
So um, getting back to mentor, mentoring, and it's great that Peggy, you know, has future now and, um, you know, connecting people together, which I didn't have either as I was coming up. Um, so if you're in a company, how, and you're looking for a mentor, but how do you go about, like, getting someone to mentor you in that company? Like, for me, I have a hard time asking people. Mm -hmm. So what are your, you know, how, what would you tell? So if there's an employee within the company who wants to yeah. be mentored by another person right. in the company. Like, how do you go about? I would say reach out to someone who, within the company, who you admire, whose work you may admire, and just shoot them an email. You know, a lot of people in our company like to have coffee because we have a cafe downstairs in our building. So, oh, that's new. That didn't. That wasn't uh, there yeah, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You've been gone a while. I've been gone a while. Um, but yeah, you just go have coffee for fifteen to twenty minutes yeah. and talk about, you know, whatever it is you want to talk about. I've been referred to, been referred to by people, by friends who have friends within the company who want to talk to me. So I'm always happy, more than happy to do that. Yeah, it is hard because I, th I think um, some of it has to do with chemistry, mm -hmm. you know, and then you, you know, you have to just start with building a relationship. Right. And sometimes it may not happen right away because yeah. obviously people are busy with their main job, their day job, but I would say just be persistent but not too persistent where you become annoying. Uh, yeah, because nobody likes an annoying person, yeah. but they appreciate persistence too, right? Yeah, especially in our business, right. especially yeah. the news business. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. To you show your persistence, you're hungry, and you're like, okay, yeah. this person wants it. Yeah. It's going to be worth the time to spend. Yeah, and like I said, people are always willing, more than likely, or more than usual, to take time out of their day to talk to you. Yeah, I mean, I have to be, I, I have been really impressed, um, even with the, the, the room, the, everybody in this room, because so many um, have reached out even post-conference. We have a lot of our Future Now alums in the room, and I've, you know, they've volunteered. So, you know, like Jakar, Chiba, you, you guys have volunteered. And so the more time that you spend in volunteering, I, that's, I, I see you. And I know the value. And now, because we've developed a relationship, I can go back and say, hey, if you came to me and said, could you write a recommendation for me or would you mind reaching out? Because I've seen you in action and I see your consistency and I see your commitment, I can then speak to it. Right. You know, So it's, again, um, it's showing up mm -hmm. and it's communicating and it's incredibly valuable. Um, yeah. I mean, I would. It's authentic. I, it's authentic yeah. because you put in that effort and you put in that time. So it's a lot easier to see, you know, um, you put in the value than I see it. Yeah. I had a question about that. What advice would you recommend for somebody who has who's older and has other applications but can't volunteer as much because they have a little way at home or something like that? What would you recommend? Um, like I said, I'm, I'm prior to service, so I have. A, older now look so <laughs> what would you recommend competing with younger people because that's i've heard ageism is not a thing but i also heard it no age, ageism is a, is a thing i'm sorry to say <laughs> well, I, I do think well, I it shouldn't gonna, be but it is i was also going to say you're a military vet right 
So I think that's helpful because companies mm -hmm. are always looking for people who have military backgrounds. Yeah. Um, especially A and E. Tom, you can probably speak to that too. So yeah, definitely, there's an organization called Vets to Set. Okay. Uh, I I definitely uh, Vets to Set.org. Look them up. What they do is they keep a database of veterans that work in the uh, media and production, mm -hmm. all different cities, and you register in there, and then agencies and brands like AD Networks could go into the directory and say, hey, we're doing a shoot in Nashville, we, need, we, need, we want to have some vets on set, then they could look in the database and say, yeah, it's definitely, but we, we do a lot, of, I mean, we do a lot of just internal veteran support, so. Is there a contact there? Um, I could get. One. I'll get one for you. Thank you. Yep. See, there yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah. So there, there are definitely opportunities. Yeah. I, I think NBC Universal also has um, a military uh, program, focus program, where they want to hire vets. Yeah. Yeah, and support vets. So for sure. But I would say it's always just definitely important to talk to as many people as possible mm -hmm. because yeah. you probably would have known that unless we you had asked that question, right? Yeah. So the more people you talk to, the more information that you probably get. Yeah. I, I think one of the things, sorry, to yeah. sure. when you're when you're talking to someone like a mentor or somebody else, um, you're getting 15 minutes of their time, you know, you may have your career path set on one thing and just by conversation of another person, that may take you in a totally di different direction. You might say, oh, well, I really like this, this social media this, this is really interesting to me, and it, you know, be be open-minded is what I, what I'm saying. Yeah. This, yeah. My my career tra trajectory. This is not what I thought I'd be doing, but it's just taking me very different place. So, be open-minded. Yeah, it's interesting. Did you have a question? Sure. Yeah. Is there an angle that you see that people are not using to get into the business? Like you're thinking, wow, nobody sees that. You know, of course the that changes with time as everything changes all the time, but right now, do you see any angle like, well, that's, that's an easier in? An easier in? Yeah. Or a need that or, yeah. nobody, a niche or a need that nobody kind of utilizes to. To break into the industry? Yeah. Hmm. I have to think about that one. That's a good one. I, I think don't. social media is one, I mean, that's a job that didn't exist six years ago <laughs> right. and if you right. can really if you know digital marketing and you it, you can learn that stuff um, cool. I think that's that that's a huge opportunity because Gen Xers like I'm assuming you're a Gen Xer uh, are you um, maybe um, you know we're less we're less on the social media stuff and it's these days it's it's really about digital marketing and, and digital reach so if you can really um, become an expert in that that's a that's a great uh, entree right. into the business and a lot of the people who are working at these streaming companies are or like engineers and mm -hmm. you know, yeah, work on algorithms. And yeah, that sort so of stuff. a lot of technologists. Uh, that, that's huge right now. Yeah. So all of these companies, all the media companies right now, are looking for people who really have expertise in technology. Yeah. So learning how to code. Mm -hmm. if, if you if you have that aptitude, that would be a, a very lucrative yeah. uh, way. And also, it's all about the data. So. If you get into the data game, um, 
that I would say is another huge growth opportunity. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Any other questions? For people coming out of school, is there any advice? So when you're in school, they say, you know, know the context, context, know the subject, and know it, you know, to the best of your knowledge. But the emotional intelligence, I'm all into emotional intelligence, right? Those are the intangibles that you can't learn in a book. Are there any of those characteristics that you think people should think about when they come out of school? You know, accountability, uh, being dependable, those are things we don't learn. Those are things that come with She's spoken like yes. a Gen Xer. <laughs> yeah, that's how you judge. Yeah. Are there any attributes that people should think about as they move from you know college to corporate America? Uh, I think it's important to. Would you repeat that question just in case? Are there? No, no, no. It's good. No, it's a great question. Are there any attributes that people should be thinking about as they transition from college into the workplace? Yes. Emotional, Emotional intelligence. Soft skills. I think it's important to be curious. So when you get into a workplace, um, ask a lot of questions, especially when you first start, because everyone expects you not to know anything. Um, if you ask questions about something that you should know about a year or two years into the job, then it's going to be more like, what are you doing, right? But if you, if you ask all of right or wrong questions at the start. People know that you're curious, that you're passionate, you're interested in your job. I think that's one. I think it's important to, you know, know how to manage your boss. So everybody's boss is different, <laughs> right? So it's important to know what your boss wants or knows, know what your boss wants before they ask for it and get ahead of that stuff. Because um, every boss has different, you know, styles, ways, styles or expectations. expectations of how they want things done. So you can work for boss A and they want it one way, boss B might want it a different way. So those are some of the things that I would suggest. Yeah. Yes. Um, the discussion about bosses, I was yeah. wondering if there's any sort of advice that you have on like managing up and kind of what you were talking about telling your boss or being on top of the things that your boss is asking for before they even ask for it? Great question. So this question's about managing up. How do you manage up? One of the ways I manage up is by ceasing my boss on any important topic or email that might be relevant to my job. Um, I think it's better for him to know everything that's going on and he could say, oh, don't CC me on that versus you know, me not CCing him and him not being aware. Um, it's better to, you know, give more information and over-communicate than under-communicate. They don't like I surprises. Can, bosses do not <laughs> like surprises. And, you know, if you have a, a challenge or an issue, don't bring them the issue. Figure out what you're going to do to fix it. Yeah. That's, That's a very, very too. good, very good point. Right, because they, they don't want you to, they want you to figure out how you're going to fix it. Don't just bring them the problem. issues and the problems. Yeah. yeah. That'll get you promoted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great question. Yes? Uh, throughout your career, how do you, how do you maintain work-life balance um, and like knowing when to go all in on certain areas and when to take a step back? Ah, good question. Work-life work balance. Good question. So I think at... Uh, Depending on the company I've worked at, you know, when I worked at BET, I worked at BET for seven years, and 
there were years where I worked probably till 8 or 9 p.m., probably three or four nights a week. This is in research. No, no, this was no. in uh, scheduling. scheduling. Mm -hmm. And that was just a byproduct of the department and the boss that I had at the time. Um, so when I got married and we were pregnant with our first kid, my wife was pregnant with our first kid, <laughs> not me. Um, I realized that I couldn't kind of maintain that pace any longer just because mm -hmm. it would burn me out and I would never have any time with my wife and my our son at the time, our oldest son at the time. Um, so that's when I actually made the change to, uh, I was able to get a job at Discovery. And actually I got that job through uh, a good friend of mine who I worked with at BET. And when she was there at Discovery, she mentioned to me that there was a job opening, so I was able to kind of transition. And that, that was also job. in scheduling? That was in scheduling, yeah. So most of the jobs I've gotten, fortunately, have been through people that I've known and through word of mouth. It hasn't been through submitting a resume through an online website. Fortunately, it's been through contacts and relationships that I've built, mm -hmm. fortunately. So. Mm -hmm. Any other questions? We're good? Any questions from social? Actually, yep. you answered all of them. Really? All right. <laughs> okay. So all right. I recorded wow. and saved. Awesome. <laughs> all right. So, Kristen, I want to thank you so much for being here. Thanks for just sharing your story and your wisdom and advice. Let's give him a round of applause. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It's important to always be curious. So read the trades, take classes, attend workshops and conferences, and also volunteer with trade organizations and nonprofits like the Future Now Media Foundation. It's a great way to get to know people in the industry, network, develop genuine relationships, and pay it forward. Keep in mind the best time to meet new people is when you don't need something right away. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Future Now Media podcast. I'm Peggy Kim. Be sure to subscribe to get first access to our upcoming Future Now episodes and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Until next time, remember, a future now is a future one.